Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. Uh, just got finished watching the Kenobi finale, so that's why it's a little bit of a late upload on this Wednesday. Um, we're going to do a bit of housekeeping to start the episode, of course, just very, very briefly. We'll talk about the NBA Finals, um, Gronkowski finally retiring again, and the judge arbitration with the Yankees. Uh, and then we pretty much have full-on nerd stuff this week. Little Taking a little bit of break from sports. You know, obviously there's a lull. There's the, the Stanley Cup is still going on. It's currently 2-1 to one avalanche lead. They play tonight uh, in Game 4 in Tampa Bay. Uh, and there's, that's pretty much all there is to it right now. Uh, avalanche won in overtime. They dominated early in Game 1 and then the Lightning were able to tie it up. They went into overtime. Avalanche ended it very, very quickly in OT. I believe the final score was 4-3. Then in Game 2, they run up 7-0 against the Lightning, which was a ridiculous score. Uh, But the other night in Game 3 in Tampa Bay, avoiding to try go down, trying to avoid going down 3-0 to the Avalanche. Tampa Bay finds a win. They uh, dominate. From start to finish, six to two. So, still down two one. Still have a game at Tampa Bay before they go back to uh, Colorado. We'll see if the Avalanche can get that done. And that's your hockey update, really. Um, NBA Finals. But what I'm saying before we get to that, uh, this will be the last episode for a couple weeks. Um, gonna go on on a, like a two week hiatus. I haven't really taking a break in quite some time. So uh, we'll be back after this week. We will be back the 13th. July 13th will be the next episode that we have. And I think the only thing that we'll be missing in that time frame is um, the winner of the Stanley Cup. Other than that, it's just regular season baseball. Uh, We'll have news as it comes out. Probably shift for the summer. We'll have our our Mets and Yankees updates, of course, and All Star breaks and all that kind of stuff. Um, but for the most part, we are gonna have a little bit of a shift into uh, more movie reviews and stuff. So Thor comes out. It's actually kind of perfect because Thor comes out July eighth, I believe that weekend, the eighth and the ninth. So the 13th, when we come back, we will have a uh, Thor Love and Thunder review to pop off with, which is nice. Um, I actually haven't seen Lightyear yet, and I haven't seen Top Gun Maverick yet, which I think might be a little too late. Um, I have to wait till I catch that on streaming, but I definitely want to go see Lightyear too. Uh, and as far as movies, that's how it goes. Like I said, July 8th, I'll be seeing Thor. So when we come back that week, the 13th, that Wednesday, we'll have a Thor Love and Thunder review, which will be good. And it'll, it'll kind of just balance out pretty nicely there. But yeah, two week hiatus, giving myself a break. I'll still be writing, um, on Animal House and other stuff. Might start up like some gambling blogs uh now that we have finally gotten the green light to go ahead and do that so jump on that train and yeah I'll, I'll still be keeping myself busy we'll just won't have the weekly podcast for two weeks not that big of a deal but sometimes you just gotta take off 
So let's get into it now. The NBA Finals, of course, the Warriors win in six games. Um, Steph Curry pops off. He has like 32-7-7 in the in the closing game. I wrote a blog about some of my thoughts the day of. You can go check it out. It's on AnimalHouseUSA.com. Um, but Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown is, the, I think, uh, the story when you look at, obviously, the Warriors have won their fourth championship in eight years. Steph, Clay, Draymond all have four rings now. Draymond showed up in the last game. Everyone was kind of, including myself, was ragging on him for the entire series because he he sucked. Uh, and in this closeout game, he shows up. He hits two three pointers. For I think he took five in total, which is like, all right, well now you're now you're actually taking them, and then you're making them too. He had a couple big shots. Uh, he had a really 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 nice game six. Steph obviously popped off game six. Clay tried to get game six Clay going. Just wasn't happening. He had 12 points, two three-pointers made in the first half, did not score the entirety of the second half. Um, And you could talk up and down about the Warriors and how good they were. Their defense was excellent. No one had an answer for Steph Curry. uh, And they just outclassed the Celtics. And on the other end, Jason Tatum, he shrunk in the spotlight a little bit. And obviously this is his first taste of that NBA Finals experience and you're going up against a team that has... All types of championship pedigree, up and down, and that's a lot. That's a lot to deal with. And he had, I think, a crazy stat was he had the most turnovers in a playoff run ever. He had over a hundred turnovers in would they play twenty four games? So it is remarkable in that aspect. Something that he definitely has to work on the turnovers. Uh, He didn't shoot well. He seemed very indecisive. Not really sure where he wanted to go uh, with the basketball. And then on the other end, Jalen Brown. So my Jalen Brown over Jason Tatum hot take gets increasingly less hot with this finals performance because Jalen Brown showed up in the finals. He balled out. And in an elimination game, he pretty much mimicked Steph Curry's stat line. Like, And he played lockdown defense on Klay Thompson. Not more you could have asked Jalen Brown to do. Uh, and Jason Tatum just could not show up. And if he was there, if he showed up, if if he was present, I think they really would have had a chance to win and force this to Game 7. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case for Celtics fans and the players. Um, I can't say they'll be back because the East is loaded, bro. Like, the East has a lot of really, really good teams with really tough players. And, you know, the Celtics went up against the Nets team. That isn't anything to joke about. They ended up sweeping them. But then they won seven games with the Bucks and the Heat. Uh, and I think a lot of people were saying, you know, it, it, the Celtics, when they're on, they're like very clearly the better team. But they kind of shoot themselves in the foot a lot. And I don't think that's just the Celtics. That's just like... That's like the players that they have. Like a lot of those guys are up and down. Sometimes they look like the best team in the NBA and sometimes they look like they have no idea what they're doing. You know, they shoot like shit. They don't they don't they have too many bad turnovers. They don't play defense. And usually that's not the case. But, you know, with the Warriors, even when you're playing well, there are times where you're going to lose cuz you just can't stop them. 
And that's what happened in a couple games this series. So I can't even say that like they'll definitely be back. Um, I don't think Jalen Brown's going to be on this team for much longer because I, I think at some point he's going to ask to either be traded or he's going to wait out his contract and leave in free agency. I, I really do believe that. There's, there's no way this core stays together uh, for much much longer, to be honest. I, I think maybe it's a couple more years, and that's it. Jalen Brown is an unrestricted free agent when he's 28 years old uh, in 2024. So next year, maybe, they, they trade him. Like I don't think so, but... I'd be shocked if they let him walk for nothing. I just don't I don't see him signing an extension to be a Celtic through the rest of his prime cuz he's entering his prime. Like he's Jason Tatum, my main argument that I I am going to close this out because I don't want to spend too much time on this. Uh Jason Tatum, this is what you're going to get for the next 10 years, which is not bad at all. By no stretch am I saying he's a bad basketball player, but I think that Jalen Brown we saw it in the NBA Finals. He has that that next gear where he can drop like 30, 35 points a night if he just gets his shots. He's he's built like that. And Jason Tatum, he's going to be a 25, 26, 27 point per game scorer every season and fighting for all NBA spots every season. But I just feel like Jalen Brown has that like next level that he can really unlock. And that's my main point. Uh, by no stretch am I saying Jason Tatum's bad, but I just, there's something about Jalen Brown. All right, enough NBA Finals. We all know how that went. Everyone's got their fill. Uh, they had their parade already, the Warriors, so it's over with. Gronk officially retiring, hanging it up for the second time. Uh, probably the last, but honestly, you never know. Um, I don't think he's going to come back again. I think he realized his body's pretty much shot at this point. So uh, he might get the itch again, but I don't think he's actually ever going to come back. So congrats to the best tight end of all time, Rob Gronkowski, on his second retirement. And finally, the judge arbitration deal. Uh, the Yankees have a arbitration meeting with Judge on Friday. They're trying to give him 17. He's asking for 21. Um... I just don't see any way the Yankees, like, I, I don't understand how the Yankees could say no to that, really. And arbitration's so annoying, but it's something that has to be done in baseball, unfortunately. But as it stands right now, Aaron Judge is the AL MVP. And there is a strong chance that he can, like, he's hitting, a strong chance that he continues his trajectory. Uh, he's hitting for average, he's hitting for power. He uh, is hitting with runners in scoring position. He's striking out less. He's like his K to walk ratio is great. Um, he's hitting the slider, which has given him fits for years. He's hitting the slider really well this year. He's just played fantastic baseball, and on top of that, he plays a Gold Glove caliber right field and center field. Something that he's been asked to do more and more over the past couple seasons is play center field and. He's never bitched and moaned about it. He's never complained. He has gone out there and he has played a very good center field. Aaron Judge has quite literally done everything the Yankees have asked him on and off the field in terms of being like 
the leader of the team and the face of the Yankees. He's done it all. He is the AL MVP right now. And quite honestly, I'm not sure there's anyone that really comes close to him currently. Uh, It'll probably tighten up at the end of the year like it usually does. But as it stands, Judge is like the front runner for MVP. If he wins MVP, like you got to throw him as much money as possible. Because if you don't, the Mets will, the Giants will, the Angels will, the Dodgers will. Uh, the Red Sox possibly might try and steal him into the division, which would be a fucking nightmare if that happened. But all these teams have like a real chance to to throw money in Aaron Judge. He's a California kid, so immediately Angels, Dodgers, Giants are all like threats to steal him in free agency. Um, but you got to get ahead of the curve. Like you, you have first dibs. You have to offer him what he wants. If he wins MVP, like there, I don't really think there's any room for negotiation if he wins MVP. Hopefully it doesn't come to that and they get something done. Obviously they already said they're not negotiating in season for a contract extension, but as soon as the season ends, like you need to be on the phone setting up a meeting with judge to negotiate contracts. Like you need to have that to happen. All right. So I'm debating about what to start with here for the rest of the episode. Are we starting with the current state of the MCU or are we going with Obi-Wan? I want to start with Obi-Wan, but maybe I want to save it for the end of the episode. Like I'm not quite sure. I'm just thinking out loud. Um, Let's start with Obi-Wan because I think that's gonna that's definitely gonna be the long the longer portion of this episode and the meat of this episode. And then we can do the state of the MCU at the end and I can time it out a little bit better. So let's start with the Obi-Wan finale uh, and pretty much a, a little bit of a series recap, but mostly this is gonna be about the finale and this will serve as the Obi-Wan Kenobi series review episode because I'm going to talk about the finale but also the series as a whole uh, and get my rating of it of course so this episode starts I have a lot of notes uh this episode starts right where the last one left off with the ship containing Obi-Wan and Leia and the rest of the uh rebels or hideaways fleeing Darth Vader's Star Destroyer uh and Obi-Wan realizes that Vader is blinded by him still so he's like, give me your escape pod. I will leave. They'll leave you alone and you can fly to wherever it is they're flying to. And he does just that. And the Grand Inquisitor next to Vader tells him, we have a chance to shut down this entire rebel uh, uprising, the, the path and stuff like that, that these uh, rebels are using to hide away and hide Jedi. We have a chance to destroy it. We can't lose that opportunity chasing one Jedi. Uh, And Vader says it's not just one Jedi. Go after Kenobi. And the Inquisitor is like, he doesn't say anything after that, but you could see on his face, he's like, oh man, like this is the wrong decision. We shouldn't be doing this. But like, he's already kind of pushed Vader to that point where he's like, we shouldn't be doing this. And Vader says, screw you. I'm in charge. We're going after Kenobi. And then they finally get to this distant planet whatever it's dark and rainy and uh, a lot of rock Vader says I'm going down there myself and this is where they have this crazy fight Vader pops 
uh, shows up, he strolls up and he said, are you here to destroy me, Obi-Wan? And Obi-Wan says, I will do what I must. Like he says to Anakin on Mustafar in episode three, and he ignites his lightsaber and initiates the two finger pose where he has his hand, his left hand out in front and his right hand with the lightsaber pointing forward as well. You know the pose. Uh, so he assumes the pose and it seems like now Obi-Wan is back. He's fully like, not maybe not fully, but his, oh, even Vader says your strength has returned. Um, but we also get this nice tidbit here. A lot of references to the Ahsoka Vader fight in Star Wars Rebels because when Obi-Wan says, I will do what I must and assumes his pose, Vader says, then you will die. And that's what he says to Ahsoka uh, when she is talking to Vader. She's like, I'm not going to leave you. And he says, then you will die. And he ignites his lightsaber. It's the same exact thing. And they go after it. Um, incredible choreography. Like, this is something that I really missed about the prequels and, th and this era of lightsaber combat is just so far and away exceeds every other thing in the entire Star Wars universe. Like, the prequel... The prequels... And I'm counting this Obi-Wan series as like a prequel thing almost. But the fights are just magnificent. And Obi-Wan fighting Vader. Vader, maybe not totally in his prime. Because you have to think, he's still, I think, he's I think he's 30. Like he's pushing 30. Um, Anakin is super young in Revenge of the Sith. So he's, Vader's like in his he is 30 or like in his early early 30s, whereas Obi-Wan is almost pushing 50, I think, at this point. Um, and there's like not that much of a difference. I actually don't know if Obi-Wan's pushing 50. He might be younger than that. But they are... It, it, it's it's comparable, you know? Like Darth Vader's still in a, in a peak form, but he's not at his peak. Uh, so... They're fighting, the choreography is great, and Vader kind of bullies Obi-Wan, but he does go out of his way to mention, like I said, that your strength has returned. And I think you could kind of pivot this, pivot this to earlier in the series, Obi-Wan is scared, he's, he's frightened by Vader, he's scared of what happened to Anakin and what he's done, he's still suffering from all of that. He hasn't practiced the Force in 10 years, but... I assume for a Jedi Master like Obi-Wan, kind of like riding a bike. And once he starts tapping into the Force again and and he really starts practicing again and meditating and, and using it and uh, getting back to his lightsaber, it is like riding a bike and he kind of gets back into that form where he could fight Vader one-on-one -on -one and not completely get overwhelmed and destroyed immediately. And he even... Does really well, but Vader does this like fist slam and he uses the force to destroy the floor underneath Obi-Wan, sending him into a pit. And Vader starts throwing boulders at him and Obi-Wan's able to kind of deflect it with the force and keep himself a little bit of a canopy to keep himself alive. Vader then says, um, did you really think you can defeat me, Master? So he calls Obi-Wan Master 
turns around and walks away, which I didn't really like. It seems half-assed, you know, because obviously Obi-Wan isn't dead. Vader should still be able to sense his his presence and know that he isn't dead. So unless he thought he was just going to be down there and suffocate and die and leave him to that kind of death, I don't see why he would just walk away and leave him alone. But of course, Obi-Wan, um, with thoughts of Luke and Leia, is able to lift all the boulders off of him and sneak up on Vader, who's able to sense him as he gets closer. And then they go into a fight, and it looks like Obi-Wan has the advantage right now, taking Vader a little bit by surprise. He for pu force pushes Vader into a rock wall and then lifts up all these rocks, kind of like how Rey did in, uh, I think it was The Last Jedi. She lifts all those boulders up to save the rebels, or the resistance, excuse me. It's that same kind of move. Um, and Obi-Wan lifts up all these rocks and he starts pelting Vader with all these rocks in front of him. And, um, we also see Obi-Wan assume the Alec Guinness pose where in episode four, um, the fight's a little bit more methodical because obviously technology wise, but that's just how George Lucas wanted it. And Alec Guinness holds his lightsaber with two hands and it's kind of pointed forward in like a straight a straight line, and we see Obi-Wan assume that pose against Vader, so that's a bit of a callback to uh, Alec Guinness as well, and we get another callback in a little bit that I'm going to get to. So, Obi-Wan goes on the offensive, uh, he smashes Vader's chestboard with the hilt of his lightsaber several times, um, forcing Br Vader to have struggle breathing, of course, and then Obi-Wan lunges towards him and slashes the left side of his mask, uh, revealing the burnt face of Vader, of Anakin, and this is what creeps uh, Obi-Wan out, is he says, he calls to him, Anakin, and Ewan McGregor gives a great performance here with the tears, and he's crying, he's like, I'm sorry, Anakin, like, I'm, I'm so sorry for everything, like, it's my fault. And Anakin says, or Vader says, I am not your failure, Obi-Wan. You didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I did. And then that's when uh, Obi-Wan says, then my friend is truly dead. But during this back and forth, there is a conflict brewing with Vader, and you can see it. Um, he has the left side of his face glowing in red, and when the conflict is brewing Obi-Wan's blue from his lightsaber is flickering in and out with the red of Vader's and then when the conflict is gone and Vader is back and regains control it is just red lighting over uh, Anakin's face so that was a really neat touch to to show that conflict within and something that was also pointed out on Twitter, shout out to at Clone Humor. I guess it's a Star Wars account, saw it on Twitter, really good point. Um, Obi-Wan broke the right side of Vader's mask in their fight, and Ahsoka broke the left side, or it's actually the opposite, they're showing how they show, but it's really the, Obi-Wan broke the left side of Vader's mask, and Ahsoka broke the right side of Vader's mask, but only Luke was able to fully unmask Vader and bring back Anakin. Really good point um, that I really loved. And it's it's a nice 
uh, a nice tidbit to really dissect there. And again, they used a lot of the fights from, I, I pretty much almost get, as soon as I started watching this episode, I was like, we're pretty much going to get a Hayden Christensen in the suit talking to Obi-Wan with a mixture of like his voice and James Earl Jones' voice, the Vader voice. And it was perfect. It was really, really well done. Um, we see Obi-Wan get obviously very conflicted with seeing Anakin like this, his burnt face, his yellow eye, and talking about how he didn't kill Anakin. I killed Anakin. He's he's dead. I, I killed him. And then Obi-Wan says, then my friend is truly gone. And not, again, once again, not bringing himself, not being able to bring himself to kill Anakin. It, I think for him, it was a little, for Obi-Wan, it was a little bit of closure. And he was able to see Anakin and talk to Anakin and truly understand that his friend is is gone. Darth Vader is all that remains. And it, it was nice of him to get that closure. But once again, he was unable to bring himself to destroy Darth Vader and to kill his his friend, his brother that he loved so much. Still not able to do it and was never able to do it. He wasn't able to do it then. On Mustafar, he wasn't able to do it here. And he's not able to do it in A New Hope, although he's not strong enough to do it in A New Hope. But uh, we see that one, Obi-Wan's strength has returned. And two, he just knows how to fight Vader because he knows how to fight Anakin. So... He's able to survive. He's able to take the offensive. And we really see him. We have not seen Obi-Wan be that aggressive literally since episode one where he goes after Darth Maul with a lot of aggression. We see a lot of aggression here. And the use of something I really appreciated in this show, the use of the Force in combat was really well done, both by Vader when he fought Obi-Wan the first time and when he fought Reva and when he fought Obi-Wan here the second time and by Obi-Wan uh, in this fight, the way they use the force to stop each other, to push each other, to use their uh, surroundings, you know, Obi-Wan tries to throw a giant uh, pillar on top of Vader and Vader easily pushes in. He says, your strength has returned, but your weakness remains and he sh catapults this thing far, far, far away. Uh, so he's like still very much stronger than Obi-Wan with the Force, but because he's blinded by his rage and his his past as Anakin, he's still not fully able to overcome it. Um, and when Obi-Wan leaves Vader, because Vader is pretty much helpless at this point, he says, goodbye, Darth, which is another callback to Alec Guinness's um, Obi-Wan because he calls, instead, he doesn't call him Vader, he calls him Darth. You can't win, Darth. Uh, that is another callback to episode four, which I appreciated. Uh, so you have that, and then the stance that Alec Guinness has, uses in episode four. Two callbacks to that. Um, great actor, and that great version of Obi-Wan. And then Vader, as Obi-Wan leaves, Vader screaming Obi-Wan is a mix, nice mixture of Hayden Christensen's voice and James Earl Jones. Sent goosebumps down my spine. He was very, very pissed off. Um, and rightfully so. So with this encounter, I'm still not fully like on board with what this does to the canon. 
like what this series does as a whole to the canon of episode four. Because uh, with this fight, it is still a little annoying, you know? When I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. I guess that still plays because when he buries Obi-Wan in rubble, he's, he calls him master. You know, he says, you know, you did you really think you can defeat me? Uh, you have failed, master. And he walks away and then he ends up losing the fight. So 0 for 2 against Obi-Wan, but he does obviously kill him in A New Hope. And I guess because... He loses again as Vader when he thought he was like this all-powerful being. He still loses to Obi-Wan. That kind of leaves room for interpretation in terms of when I left you, I was but the learner, now I am the master. Still not totally on board with it, but it fits well enough where you don't really have to... Like, if you really, 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 really hate it with all your heart, like, you're going to nitpick it. But for me... I enjoyed it well enough and I enjoyed this confrontation and this battle well enough that I'm not hating it, you know? I'm I'm okay with it. As for the rest of the episode, uh, I still don't like Rava. I still don't like her. Um, at the end of the last episode, she got the broken hologram of Bail Organa pretty much divulging all the biggest secret, pretty much the biggest secret in the galaxy on a fucking message hologram, which was ridiculous. Rava heads to Tatooine to kill Luke because she wants revenge on Darth Vader and she couldn't kill him, but now that she knows he has a son, she's going to kill him to get revenge on him killing all the younglings. And this is a very obvious story arc where this is going. Um, for whatever reason, Rava does not kill Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, even though she has several chances to plunge her lightsaber into their chest. But why would she do that? Because they die in episode four. So, kind of makes their death a little bit sadder in episode four, if we're being honest here. Um, but she doesn't kill them. She has her eyes set on Luke, who runs across the desert. And then, when Rava leaves the hut and goes chasing after Luke... He's just, he, he finds him just sleeping, passed out against a rock. Like, what are you doing? What? Like, you're running for your life. You decide now is a good time to take a power nap. I, I don't understand this at all. But she finds him unconscious, sleeping, ignites her lightsaber, and of course, she's unable to kill Luke because uh, she has flashbacks and PTSD of Anakin slaughtering all of her friends in the Jedi Temple. Doesn't bring herself to do it. Um, I still don't like this character. It's still pretty wonky. Uh, her story arc just seems very unnecessary, but here it is. And Luke sleeping on the ground was so fucking nuts. It's so stupid. Um, but she ends up bringing Luke back to the hut and Owen and Amperu take him and leave. And she has a nice talk with Obi-Wan about... And she breaks down crying, you know. I couldn't do it. I couldn't avenge my friends. Am I like Vader? And she's like... And he's like, no, you're not like him. You've chosen not to be like him. And you haven't betrayed your friends. You haven't let them down. You've actually honored them because you did not go down this path that Anakin Vader went down. You chose to reject it, 
And now your future can be whatever you want it to be. And now you just have Reva like there in the universe out there knowing that Darth Vader has two children. Uh, that's kind of weird. The fact that that's there and, you know, she's not going to stay on Tatooine, obviously, because everyone there knows that she's an Inquisitor. So she'll have to go off and just be her own person. Um, I'll tell you what, though. She got over that stab to the stomach very easily. I don't like how that's a thing. She should have died. Uh, this whole little side arc of her going to Tatooine to try and kill Luke to avenge or to get revenge on Anakin slash Vader and then having her redemption. That should never have happened. She should have died at the end of episode five by Vader because there is no one on earth that is supposed to know Darth Vader is Anakin Skywalker other than Yoda, Palpatine, and Obi-Wan. They're the only ones who know. And now suddenly Reva is introduced into this world like she's still alive and she just knows that Darth Vader is Anakin Skywalker like she seems when you just list off the people that know her that know that and then include her sticks out like a sore thumb he should have killed her decapitation dead at the end of episode five there's there's no reason why she should be alive really uh, they they should have killed her off at the end of episode five, and then none of this should have happened. But it did, unfortunately. So after that, we get uh, another shot, and Mustafar Vader's back in his little tower, his fortress, and he's talking to Palpatine, the dead speak. <laughs> Emperor Palpatine makes his appearance, um, and he talks about Obi-Wan. He's like, I know where he is. We can find him. I He will not get away again. I will kill him. And Palpatine pretty much says, this necessity to overcome your past is a weakness. If you can't get over your old master, like we're going to have a problem. And that's when Vader says, Kenobi means nothing. I serve only you, my master. And that is pretty much Palpatine saying like, listen, man, I'm going to mess you up if you don't give up this whole Obi-Wan needs to die thing because I'm the one in charge. And Vader says, yep, you're right. Uh, he means nothing. I'll stop hunting him. And uh, I, I serve only you. We will continue our quest together. And that's it. Obi Vader right there. He gives up his... It's, an, it's a way to kind of wrap up the fact that he is no longer going to be... That's why... Obi-Wan pretty much lives on Tatooine, unbothered, uh, watching over Luke for now the next 10 years, I believe it is, or nine years. Um, and he just lives his lives his life on Tatooine, watching over Luke, without the threat of Vader coming to find him, because Vader lets it go. Even though he wants nothing more in the world to destroy Obi-Wan and to to end that part of his life, he has not been able to do it. And he does it, obviously, in episode four. But the time now goes past that uh, because he gives up in that moment of hunting him and abandoning everything else. Because that's what he did. Like, his rage and his anger to kill Obi-Wan blinded him from 
what they should have done with the Grand Inquisitor being that middle ground, like, listen, this is our chance. And Vader says, nah, screw it. We're going after Kenobi. Um, so that's, that's a nice way to tie up those loose ends. Then we get Obi-Wan makes one last visit to Alderaan and he says his goodbyes to Leia. He says his goodbyes to Bail Organa and, and his wife. Um, and they say their final goodbyes, but this whole interaction with Leia and Obi-Wan and this whole story of saving her is a bit weird because now, unlike when I left you, I was but the learner, that kind of remains intact, but this cry for help from Leia in episode four, reaching out through R2 to get to Obi-Wan saying, General Kenobi, you once served my father in the Clone Wars. Now I need your help. Like, yeah, that's still true, but it's like in that context, it sounds like you two have never met before, but my father knows you and he told me to send for your help specifically. That's why I'm contacting you. Whereas now it's like they have a prior relationship and their interactions uh, just don't feel the same now in the original trilogy. They, they don't feel as organic because like you had this whole adventure together and it just doesn't add up as much, you know? So that that's a little bit more of a problem than the Vader-Kenobi relationship is the Kenobi-Leia relationship. Um, so that's a bit annoying, but as Obi-Wan says his goodbyes, he tells Leia that he lied. He didn't know his her parents and he lists off qualities about being uh smart and compassionate he gets that from you get that from your mother and you're brave and and bold and you get that from your father and that very nice of him complimenting Padme and Anakin in that way of course um and then he leaves he heads back to Tatooine he has a brief chat with Owen he leaves his little hermit cave packs up and he uh, goes to visit Owen real quick. Uh, and he's like, I thought you'd say you'd keep your distance. And Obi-Wan says, you're right. He just needs to be a boy. He doesn't need to be trained right now. Um, he just needs to live his life. And all he needs is for you there, you to be there for him. And as he's about to leave, Owen says, do you want to meet him? Which is something that I was kind of unaware of, I guess, that Obi-Wan had never really met Luke up until that point. He had just been watching from afar. So 10 years of just never meeting him, he finally gets introduced to Luke and he says, hello there, which is very nice. Great. You know, there was times in earlier in the show where he could have dropped the hello there and people were like, including myself, were like, well, why didn't he do it? They saved it for this moment where he finally meets Luke for the first time. And this establishes their relationship. And now I think, you know, Obi-Wan will be more involved in his life up until um, A New Hope. And as Obi-Wan leaves, going into the hills to live his hermit life again elsewhere, we get Qui-Gon Jinn, Liam Neeson, the return of Qui-Gon as a Force Ghost. I wasn't sure they were ever going to do the Force Ghost because... Part of me, I guess they, I thought that maybe he had never fully utilized it, but he appears out of nowhere and Obi-Wan's looking at him because now Obi-Wan is, he's in touch with the Force. 
he's back to being like this uh, this Jedi Master level um, Force user, and he finally gets to see. I think because he accepted that closure. Because Qui Gon says, "I've been here the entire time," or Obi Wan says, "I was thinking you weren't going to show up." And Qui-Gon said, I've been here the entire time. You just weren't ready to see me. And I think that's because Obi-Wan reestablished his connection, his strong connection with the Force. He got the closure with Vader and Anakin that he needed. And because of that, now he was finally able to see Qui-Gon and communicate with him. And Qui-Gon says, come on, we have a long way to go. And thus, he begins his training with Qui-Gon Jinn and why he is able to become a Force ghost. And as soon as he's struck down by Vader in Episode 4, he's immediately able to communicate with Luke through the Force to tell him to run. Um, and that training comes, obviously, I don't think we'll be seeing that on screen. It'd be cool if we did, but I don't think they have any plans to show that kind of training with Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon um, on screen. But it was nice. They got... Everyone involved, man. Everyone that is so beloved in the prequels, they got them involved. Uh, Hugh McGregor, Liam Neeson, Hayden Christensen, Ian McDermott uh, as Palpatine, Jimmy Smith, of course, as Bail Organa. A lot of really good stuff that they were able to get all these people together and reprise these beloved roles for a show that... Got off to a rocky start. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, these last two episodes have been peak. Like, they have been really, really, really good uh, in terms of the characters of Obi-Wan and Vader and their dynamic. We got a ton of uh, nostalgia. We had the the Hayden Christensen Obi-Wan sparring flashback, which was excellent. Um, we had Vader showcasing his power with the Force and his relentlessness, other than the fact that he didn't kill Reva right in front of everyone. Um, the Vader-Obi-Wan fight was awesome. It still leaves room open to fit into the continuity pretty smoothly with Episode 4. And we also had uh, Obi-Wan show, like Ewan McGregor with his lightsaber tricks and everything, like seeing him... Just full-fledged fighting again against Vader was spectacular. Uh, getting Him getting that closure. We had the Liam Neeson force ghost. Palpatine making an appearance. It was great. Uh, the callbacks in the final fight uh, to Alec Guinness with his pose and uh, him calling him Darth. Fantastic. All of it was, was fantastic, the last two episodes. Um, and, you know, the first... Four episodes had their moments. Um, some really bad moments, some good moments. You know, obviously, episode four. I know a lot of people are like, well, it was a callback to A New Hope. That's great, but I don't need that in a six episode series. Obi Wan smuggling Leia underneath a trench coat to past everyone in this Sith operated base. Like, that was ridiculous. That was really stupid. Um, Reva, again, just a very lackluster character. Not really too thrilled with her. You know, I don't hate her with a passion, but it's just she feels very unnecessary and out of place. I think Leia, the whole Leia arc, rescuing her and stuff, 
you know, eh. I, I think they really could have come up with a better story than that. Um, maybe a bit too much. Over the last two episodes, they really dialed back on Leia a little bit. But for the first, you know, episode three and four specifically, they really hammered home, like, who Leia is and all her qualities and her personality and how she's a great leader. She'll never rash. That, that this is why she's a perfect leader for the rebellion. Like they really hammered home those traits in episodes three and four. And like, I got it, but also like, she's 10 years old, man. Like you're being tortured by an inquisitor and you're not showing an ounce of fear and you're a 10 year old girl. It's, you know, it's a bit of a stretch, but I get it right. Strong willed because she's Leia Organa. I get it. On the other hand, I am so grateful that they didn't touch Luke with like a 10-foot pole in the show. Like not I don't even think I don't think the kid who plays Luke even had a line of dialogue the entire time, which I'm so happy. Like the only thing they did to make Luke look like an idiot was have him fall asleep in the middle of being chased by a fucking inquisitor. I don't understand why they did that. I really don't understand why they did that. Um, I think personally, they should have had Reva show up and just, she was never able to find Luke. Like Luke wasn't even there. And then Obi-Wan shows up and just talks her off the ledge without her even seeing Luke, without anything. Just like have him talk her off the ledge, like talk no jutsu her. And that's it. And it's over with. Um, again, what I really think should have happened, she should have been dead at the end of episode five. Vader should have chopped her head off when he... Uh, didn't, he didn't even bother igniting his own lightsaber. He used uh, hers and broke it in half. And then he takes both. By the way, another tidbit. Uh, when he when he's wielding both lightsabers and uh, Rava's on the ground, he assumes the same stance as Ahsoka because obviously... He trained Ahsoka to fight in dual wield style, and he assumes that same stance that she does uh, before she fights, uh, specifically Maul in Clone Wars season seven. So that's a cool little thing too, as well. Um, but he should have walked up to her and did what Anakin did to Dooku with the two lightsabers. Did the same exact thing, chopped her head off. That should have been the end of it. Uh, but no, 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 no. Disney hates. Lightsabers. That's another thing, another negative in this show that I really have don't appreciate, um, or anything about lightsabers in uh, the Disney-owned era. They don't do anything um, unless you're stabbing someone through the chest. Like they don't do much, bro. Like they're lightsabers. They chop things in half. We saw a clone fall on a laser grid like gate and get chopped in half. But when Obi-Wan is sneaking in uh, the Inquisitor base and is igniting his lightsaber Starkiller style and killing those two clone troopers in the night like a stealth ninja, he doesn't chop anything off. He like slashes them in the back and then slashes one in the chest. And then that's it. Like nothing happens. You just see sparks fly and that's the end of it. They're, they should be chopped in half. He should be cutting off limbs, bro. Like, these aren't toys. They're not anything that... Like, the only time it makes sense is when Vader and Obi-Wan are fighting and Obi-Wan's able to slash Vader across the, uh, across the back because Vader's, like, falling. And also, Vader has, like, very heavy armor on. So, he, like, sma slashes him on the chest 
And then also his mask, the same thing. Um, and again, I love that they did that mirror image uh, from the Ahsoka fight as well. So lightsabers just don't do nearly enough damage like they're supposed to. They just don't. Um, very frustrating, but that's not just with this show. That's with every uh, lightsaber duel moment in the Disney-owned Star Wars era. Even in the sequel trilogy, like lightsabers are trash. And I know George Lucas kind of had a thing with chopping limbs off, like chopping arms off, chopping legs off, um, and all that stuff. But like, even the clone troopers, man, like they—they're not wearing Beskar armor, bro. They chop them in half, like lose a limb every once in a while. It, it, you don't have to stab them through the chest to show what a lightsaber can do. But whatever, I guess that would be too much in the budget to show limbs being chopped off with lightsabers or too graphic I guess even though kids like myself watched Revenge of the Sith and Anakin was getting burnt to a crisp I was PG-13 like you can show uh and you showed a, a stormtrooper getting chopped in half just not by a lightsaber so who cares like they're warriors they're Jedi Knights they're they're okay doing that stuff you know uh, it's not out of the, out of the reach to, to show someone getting an arm chopped off every once in a while instead of just sparks flying. Uh, so overall, we are getting a little long here already. Wow. Um, <laughs> overall, I would give the, the total show probably like a six and a half, seven. The last two episodes were episode five was like an eight. And episode nine was, uh, episode six was a nine. The only reason why it's not a 10 is because of the Rava stuff. Uh, but an eight and a nine for episodes five and uh, six. But for the rest of the series, really up and down. Some parts I liked, some parts I didn't. I think I miss with most Star Wars fans there that uh, most of the time when Obi-Wan was on the screen, it was great. It was all the other stuff around him that was a little confusing or uh not great <laughs> uh not bad by any means but just not great and I love Ewan McGregor so I think he absolutely killed it I'm so glad he's back um for the show Hayden Christensen the flashback that we got with him his scene in the Vader suit uh doing that scene was awesome so I'm really glad to see more of him of course, Qui-Gon, Palpatine making an appearance in the last episode was spectacular. So the last two episodes, phenomenal Star Wars. The rest of the show was pretty good for the most part. Uh, There's a couple, of, like episode three was half all right. And episode four, I just straight up did not like. So I'm going to give it, I'll, I'll round up because the last two episodes were so good. I'll give it a seven out of 10. Again, the last two episodes were like an eight and a nine out of 10. They were peak Star Wars. That was awesome. Um, I would definitely recommend it though, man. Like if obviously if you're a Star Wars person, you got to watch this show. Like I, if, if you haven't already, um, continuity wise, you got to turn your, your eye to a, a couple things, uh, in terms of continuity. But 
I think they were able to fit this show in well enough where it doesn't completely make you want to say this is bullshit, you know, or this mess completely messed this up. This complete like nothing that happened in this show completely irreversibly fucked up the canon for the tr- uh, the original trilogy. You can't say it did. None of, none of it did. Other than honestly, my biggest gripe out of all of it is not the. Obi-Wan Vader meeting in episode four with the when I left you, I was but the learner. It's not that. It's not Leia calling out to Obi-Wan saying, You served my father in the Clone Wars, even though they now have a canonized, pre existing relationship. It's not that. It's the fact that Rava is still alive and she is now a fourth person that knows Anakin Skywalker is Darth Vader. Palpatine. Obi-Wan, Yoda, and now Reva, some no-name, brand-new character who was an Inquisitor, knows that Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader are the same person. That really irritates me. Really, really irritates me. And which is why I think she should have been dead, because if she knew that, and everything, like, came full circle, and then she just died, then it has no implications. Like, then it's still... Yoda, Obi-Wan, Palpatine, that no, he is, uh, Vader is Anakin. You know, because none of the other Inquisitors know, clearly. And something that is weird, too, is that, and then I have to wrap up because I want to talk about Marvel still. Uh, We can go a little bit longer today, though, considering this is the last episode for a couple weeks, so who really cares? But something else that kind of ticked me off was when Vader was, when Rava tried to kill Vader and he, she confronted him, and he whooped her ass. She go. He goes. Do you did you really think I did not see it, youngling? Specifically calls her youngling, just like he calls Obi Wan master. Calls her youngling because he knew he knew the entire time she was a Jedi youngling who survived Order sixty six somehow, became an Inquisitor with the thought of getting revenge on Darth Vader. And it's just, it's so bizarre because why would he ever allow someone to like rise into the ranks of an Inquisitor with that knowledge? Why would he allow this person to live? Not only then, but then after being, trying to be assassinated by this same person that he knew now, they don't explicitly say how long he has known for. He could have just recently picked up on it. Um, but he does say, it, it, it's clear that he had pre, some pre-existing knowledge of it because he tells Reva, Obi-Wan was wise to turn you against me. So he clearly knew that that was a possibility. Like, Obi-Wan wasn't the only one to be able to put two and two together. Right? Like, she, he obviously knew too. So he had some type of pre-existing knowledge. So like, why would he allow her to continue to live? It makes no sense. It's not within his character to do that. And then to defeat her in combat and not execute a clear-cut final blow to outright kill her. He stabs her in the... I assume it looks like the same spot he stabbed her when uh, she was a youngling with his lightsaber. 
I like it's a torture technique. Like, yeah, obviously it, it brings back memories for her, but why would he just not cut her head off? It, it could very easily just kill her. It's not within his character to allow someone like Rava to live. It's not. I think overall with Darth Vader in this show, there are a, a couple problems that it felt like I was writing more for the writers than the writers did. And that was in episode three, where he confronts Obi-Wan for the first time and he's toying with him and he's dragging him through the fire. And then all these other people show up and he just allows Obi-Wan to escape. Initially, I said, well, it's because it's not what he wanted. It's because he's selfish. He's blinded by rage. He wants his one-on-one with Kenobi. He wants to kill him by himself. He doesn't want any... He tells the other Inquisitors, do not interfere. He doesn't want any interference. And he gets that with uh, Tala saves Obi-Wan. And then the other stormtroopers show up. And I think that pisses him off. So he allows Obi-Wan to escape because he knows that he will find him. Like He's not just going to be able to run away. He knows they will meet again. When reality, I think the writers just made it that like he might have just been afraid of the fire that was in front of him and didn't want to cross it to try and get to Obi-Wan. Um, so that whole sequence is a big head scratcher and a, and a big kind of WTF moment uh, in terms of why Vader just let him escape. Kind of up in the air in that regard. There's not really much dialogue to suggest anything it's just silence and he just watches obi-wan get picked up by the packing droid and whisked away um no clear-cut answer as to why that happened and then he goes to rava and says like oh you failed me and she's like no 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 no, i didn't i swear i thought i have a tracker on them it's okay and he's like all right maybe i underestimated you so that's a big a big miss for me with vader's character a big inconsistency and then Uh, Of course, the letting Rava live aspect, even if it's like he thought he killed her, even the Grand Inquisitor comes in and says, revenge is a powerful tool to live, don't you think? Yeah, dude, so kill her. One of you, just kill her. Kill her, cut her head off. Kill her. She should not be allowed to live. It would have been like if, if... Vader just stabbed her in that same spot uh, to force her to remember what happened at the temple. And then the Grand Inquisitor came and delivered the final blow. I would have loved that too. Like that would have been totally okay. Uh, But the fact that both of them kind of just allow her to continue to breathe while they're there. She doesn't even pass out. She's still conscious when they leave. So they, I, it's very sloppy to write that out and just have the Grand Inquisitor and Darth Vader just assume that this girl's dead. Very sloppy, very out of character for Vader, and kind, pretty much kind of out of character for the Grand Inquisitor as well. Um, just not, not great writing. Like, if Reva's story ended there, like, I get you wanted her to have, like, that moment at the end with Obi-Wan, but her story was not, like, a... It, it, you want to tell this redemption story to her, but this is not her story to tell. This is Obi-Wan's story of closure and... uh Not redemption, but closure and getting answers 
to Anakin and Vader and his greatest failure, pretty much. Um, it's his story. It's a story between Vader and Obi-Wan. So you could have had like a really unfortunate, sad moment here by introducing this character, Reva, um, knowing that Anakin is Vader, plotting to get revenge for what he did to all her friends, the other younglings in the Jedi Temple. You could have had her do that and fail. And it it would have, I think, resonated way more than her getting like this little redemption arc um, at the end of episode six. Because if she fails, it's like, this is the power of the Empire. This is Darth Vader. He's merciless, strikes you down. And like, it's sad because Reva... Obviously, she and she has her redeeming moment. She also, like, she has her redeeming moment. She talks to Obi Wan. Obi Wan deduces that she was a youngling. That's why she knows Anakin is Vader. And she has her moment. She allows the rebels and Obi Wan to escape. That's her moment. That's her redemption for her, uh, her her youngling friends that got slaughtered by Anakin. That is her redemption. Allowing the children and the and the adults and Obi Wan and Leia to escape on the ship is her redemption and then she goes and tries to actually get revenge on Vader doesn't work out she dies that's her story that's it that's all you needed bro like you didn't need to go that extra mile to have her hunt down Luke or whatever uh and it, it was just kind of a waste like her story should have ended in episode five because it really felt like she made a turning point and then she gets like the stupid Bail Organa hologram and you're like, oh, well now she's going to go to Tatooine to try and kill Luke. Like, all right, obviously she doesn't do that because Luke's the main character. So it was really pointless because you knew, you knew exactly what was going to come of that. She was going to end up with her lightsaber ignited, about to kill Luke and then have a change of heart because she remembers all these terrible things that happened to her. It was very, very obvious what was going to happen. So instead of doing all of that super obvious, lame, lazy writing in episode six for her, you could have just had it end at episode five. So that that's the problem with Reva there. It's my also my two problems, two major problems with Darth, Darth Vader's character and his lapse of judgment in his character. Um... I like how they did bridge this as a way to, one, uh, and I'll end on a good note too, one, Obi-Wan gets his closure in terms of he's able to fight Vader, he's able to talk with Anakin really because he's able to break through the Vader mask and, and talk to Anakin and Anakin tells him like, I'm not your failure, you didn't kill Anakin Skywalker, I did. And that kind of gives Obi-Wan that, that sense of closure that he needed that his friend Anakin is is truly gone. There's nothing he can do about it. And uh, and that's the end, right? So he leaves him knowing that should they ever meet again, it'll probably be the end for one of them. Uh, and of course it is in episode four. But on the other hand with Vader, he learns to finally let go of this, this lust and this hatred to hunt down and kill Obi-Wan, the one person who made him what he is, who reminds him of his past. It's linked, because Obi-Wan's immediately linked to 
his childhood, to his training, his best friend, to his wife, his kids, who he thinks are dead. Uh, Obi-Wan is like that living embodiment of everything that Vader hates about himself, which is why he wants to kill him. And Palpatine straight up tells him, like, yo, you got to let it go. Otherwise, we're going to have a real problem. And right there, the ties are severed. And then, of course, as fate would have it, they meet again on the Death Star in Episode 4. And uh, Obi-Wan allows Vader to kill him. So they both get what they want in the end. Again, overall, you could say that I, I voiced pretty much, that's pretty much all my big um, gripes about the show. A little too much Leia. Uh, Reva's story should end in episode five. And then the two total lack of character awareness from Darth Vader in episode three where he lets Obi-Wan escape and in episode five where he lets Reva live. Those, so that's four problems. My fifth problem is the fact that Reva is still alive and she is now a fourth character that sticks out like a sore thumb that knows Anakin is Vader. Hated that. Um, And six, and I think final, is Disney hates lightsabers. Uh, In terms of good things, though, there's a lot of good things. Specifically in the last two episodes, the amount of callbacks and references we get. Again, Palpatine, Qui-Gon showing up. Um, Obi-Wan talking about Anakin Padme to Leia was great. Uh, All the interactions and the dialogue between Obi-Wan and Vader are great. The fight choreography was spectacular. So there's a lot of good things to write to know about this show. Also, I said six gripes, seven and eight, uh, or not seven is going to be the the Leia Obi Wan backstory. Now kind of makes her request for his help in Episode Four a little bit weird. Um, and I'm not even going to count the when I left you, I was but the learner scene because you can kind of fit that in because it Obi Wan proves in their in their follow up fight that. Vader still has a lot to learn if he ever wants to defeat Obi-Wan because he lets his anger and his emotions get the better of him again and Obi-Wan's able to use all he knows about Anakin against him. So I'm not even going to count that as, uh, as a bad decision. So seven problems, but there's more to like about this show than, than to hate for sure. Um, and I only really hate a couple things. The other ones are just kind of nitpicking. Like the only things I truly hate are the fact that Rava's still alive and Vader let her live. And he didn't chase after Obi-Wan in episode three. Those So the Vader writing laps in character awareness in the writing and uh, Rava being alive are like the three things that I really don't like. And the others are just kind of me nitpicking. Um, but overall, yeah, seven out of ten. Last two episodes are spectacular. Uh, Kenobi... I would say is a success. Um, I need to reiterate the fact that in the second fight between Obi-Wan and Vader in this finale episode, uh, the parallels to the the callbacks to Alec Guinness's Obi-Wan are awesome. The callbacks to the prequels are awesome. The fight choreography is insane. And the mirroring of the Ahsoka-Vader fight that canonically comes after this is great how they broke they both broke off different sides of his mask 
Um, but only Luke was able to take the whole thing off and get through to Anakin Skywalker. It's all... That's really, really, really well done. That's probably the best piece of writing that they could have done. And it helped that it there was already, like, a blueprint to it with that Ahsoka Vader fight in Rebels. All right, we have to move on to uh, the state of Marvel. It is important to talk about this. So, uh, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast... Thor, Love and Thunder, the fourth Thor movie, uh, the only main character, or really the only Marvel hero in general, to have four movies to their name. Uh, Captain America got three, Iron Man got three, uh, Hulk only got one, of course, but Thor now has a fourth movie, um, the only active hero, obviously, because Captain America and Iron Man are not in the MCU anymore. The only active hero that has uh, more or as many movies to rival is Spider-Man. Tom Holland has three movies. Um, so we are getting set, obviously, to have a couple more sequels. Black Panther, even though that's probably going to be the last pa- Black Panther movie because Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman's no longer with us. God, let, God rest his soul. Um, but the new Thor movie's coming out in the first week of July. Like I said, I'm going to go see it. But this begs a question here because I have been trying to defend Marvel tooth and nail to my friends for months now saying, don't worry, they have a plan, we're going to be all right. Like they have, they, they know what's coming, they know what they're doing because really their track record should have bought some faith. Uh, and I, I think it has, they're kind of running out on that faith a little bit, which I personally don't think is fair. Um, but when you deliver something as damn near flawless, uh, uh, given the scale of the Infinity Saga and the execution, it, it's pretty much flawless um, in terms of like how to adapt superheroes in their own superhero movies and bring them all together. It's it's pretty perfect. Uh, so now, basically, all we've gotten so far is a handful of Disney Plus shows that kind of just feel like filler and lackluster movies so Eternals was all right Black Widow sucked uh Spider-Man was great of course Doctor Strange was good um and and in terms of Disney Plus shows you know you have Loki was good WandaVision was good Captain Captain America Winter Soldier uh or Falcon Winter Soldier was kind of mid uh What If is cute but doesn't really have long-lasting effects uh, Moon Knight was, again, cute, no long-lasting effects. Nothing seems to be... So the early days of Marvel were very uh, firm, right? You had the original movies with the extra credit scenes that built towards something greater. And then you got the Avengers. And then after that, it just kept going, right? Full steam ahead. You have all these sequels. Um, some more important than others, but everything pointing towards one goal, and that was Thanos. We are, what, four movies, three move, four movies into phase four, and like five TV shows in, and there's really no center point that this is all going towards right now. Um, I don't think Thor is going to change that at all. I think this is more or less just going to be a Thor movie and 
who knows how much longer Chris Hemsworth is going to hang around, right? Uh, so you can't really depend on Thor to be around to be like the main guy, especially with the way they've taken his character. He's a little bit more goofy now. Uh, so unless he, they completely overhaul him and they get him a little bit more serious in this movie, it's just he's not going to be the guy to lead like Marvel to this new phase. Uh, and then you have all these other movies that are coming out that are set to release. And again, none of them really feel like they're pointing towards anything. The one that kind of feels like it has, it could have the most impact is Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And I don't think we're getting that till like 2023, 2024. That's going to have already confirmed. I have Kang the Conqueror in it. Um, so who, who knows what's going to look like till then, but Kevin Feige he came out and said the other day that the big bad Thanos level threat is going to reveal itself soon. Quote, he said, in the coming months, the direction and the future of the MCU and the big bad Thanos level threat is going to be revealed in the coming months. And me and my friends were arguing, who could that possibly be? And they threw Kang out there, but in my opinion, my expert opinion, there's no way it's Kang. Because, one, they already introduced him, a variant of him at the very least, in Loki. So why would they introduce like the next big bad Thanos villain in a Disney Plus TV show? Uh, secondly, he's confirmed to be an Ant-Man and the Wasp already as that villain, at least a variation of Kang, to be uh, in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And third... He exists, Kang's whole shtick is that he exists, he's a time hopper. He exists pretty much throughout time in different versions. He was a pharaoh, he was uh, a like medieval conqueror, he was a futuristic tech guy. Like He has all these different titles and all these different personas that he has taken throughout different decades of the world. So, realistically, if Marvel wanted to, like he could be... A variant of him could be the villain in Ant-Man and the Wasp, and they could defeat him, but he could just pop back up at any point in time with a different variation of Kang. Like, it doesn't have to be just one Kang the Conqueror and that's it. Like, he exists throughout time. He can appear pretty much everywhere he wants because there's so many different variations of him. And that's his whole thing. So, I'm not worried about that, and for that reason, I don't really think that he's going to be the big bad main villain. What I really think it came down it came down to, for me, my original thought has always been Galactus. I feel like Galactus is a villain that they did in the second Fantastic Four movie in the 2000s, and they kind of just made him this giant gray blob of clouds. Horrible. Not what Galactus is at all. Devourer of Worlds, yes, but he's not just some giant cloud entity he has like a human form or at least a uh a malleable like physical form that he could take and they could go that route they can go with um introducing the fantastic four introducing dr doom introducing the silver surfer and they could make up these things that like dr doom can gain status and be this whole thing and but with Galactus, it's like if you introduce the Fantastic Four and you introduce the Silver Surfer, the Silver Surfer could be around for multiple movies across different characters. He doesn't have to just be in the Fantastic Four. And then he could be like, oh, we have to stop the Silver Surfer. We have to stop the Silver Surfer. 
And then you get like, he turns into a good guy, blah, blah, blah. Like Silver Surfer's a beast. He's like one of the strongest characters in Marvel. Um, so you could have him working for Galactus like they did in the original Fantastic Four movies. Or you can have a different spin on it. But Galactus, certainly because they introduced the Celestials and the Eternals and all that, you could definitely have someone on the scale of Galactus that could just wipe out Earth. Not Like Thanos is not destroying he, he's wiping out half of existence yes but he's not destroying planets right like galactus could just be a planet destroyer and that could be that level of a threat you know it could be more than that it could be on a bigger scale than that who knows but galactus is definitely a villain that matches up to like a thanos type level threat and i personally think dr doom is as well now the reason why i think galactus is more likely than dr doom is because dr doom has been done before and they didn't really do a good job of it. And there's a lot of strings that need to be connected in order to get a Doctor Doom story. And a lot of people on the Reddits and, and Twitter.com are saying, Secret Wars is coming. Secret Wars is coming. Now, Secret Wars is, in the comics, a collision of the Marvel and Marvel Ultimate universe. Uh, and it's an event that is orchestrated by Doctor Doom. Uh, where it's a clash of these universes, and they've certainly set up the multiverse in the MCU. So in that aspect, uh, it's something that is definitely plausible. But that that stuff's just a backdrop because the, the forefront of Secret Wars is really a clash between Doctor Doom and Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic of the Fantastic Four. That is the true conflict. And then this whole Clash of Universes thing is just the backdrop to it. Um, so in order to have a proper Secret Wars event, you would need a fleshed out Fantastic Four. You would need a fleshed out Doctor Doom. And that in itself is very difficult uh, to, to set up that dynamic between... Jo I, I assume John Krasinski would be Mr. Fantastic and whoever it is to play Doctor Doom... Um, you would need that relationship with them to be established. Now, you can kind of hit it with Spider-Man and just hit the ground running and be like, we know you know all these characters and uh, we're going to give you some more dynamics between them, but we're not going to start from scratch. They could pull that card again. I don't know how well it would go over with characters as important to Marvel as anyone else. Doctor Doom is one of the most essential villains in all of Marvel Comics and the Fantastic Four is, of course, their crown jewel, really. it's the it, Aside from the MCU, if you go back dating to just the comics, the X-Men and the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man, of course, are like, those are the pillars of Marvel. Those are the guys, like, they really held up Marvel for a long time and are the beginnings of Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Like, those are those, those are their guys. Um, and... So the Fantastic Four is so important and they've already butchered it so many times. Not they as in Marvel, but they as in the people who have made Fantastic Four movies. Fox. Um, they made two Fantastic Four movies uh, in the mid-2000s that were kind of not great, but also not completely terrible. And then an absolutely horrendous reboot movie that was just flat-out dog shit in every way, shape, and form. Um, so... Very delicate situation with the Fantastic Four and with Doctor Doom. Because not only do you have to reestablish those relationships, but how does one go about... My friend pointed this out to me last night when we were talking about this. 
how does one go about establishing Dr. Doom? Because Dr. Doom is the king of Latveria. Essentially, Wakanda. He has crazy tech. He's super strong. Uh, he is a sorcerer, supreme level sorcerer. Uh, like He's on par with Doctor Strange in that regard. He has a ton of wealth. And like I said, it's essentially Latveria is essentially a Wakanda for Doctor Doom. It's like a slightly evil Wakanda. And, and Doctor Doom is a bad guy, but he is a very complicated bad guy. He's not like, I'm going to destroy the world kind of bad, but he's like, I'm going to amass the power of a god kind of bad. And by no stretch of, the, of means is he a, a good guy, but he has had many interactions with heroes and villains alike where he is uh, reasonable because he's very, very, very intelligent. Kind of like Thanos in that way where it's like Thanos will talk, but if you stand in his way, he's going to fight you. So like it, it's that regard where it's Thanos isn't, I'm going to wipe out the half of the universe because I feel like it. He's like, I'm going to wipe out half the universe because it's going to cave in on itself and we're going to kill each other. That, that was his reasoning. Whether it was right or wrong, obviously, is a different thing. But his reasoning was not insane. You know, morally wrong? Yeah. Insane? No. Dr. Doom's more or less the same way, where he's like very intelligent, very cunning, very, very, very powerful. Like, literally God-level powerful. Um, so, if, if you don't start from scratch... If you start from scratch, you're going to have a long way to go. If you don't start from scratch, it's going to be really difficult to kind of wrap your head around the fact that this crazy Omega level threat that is Dr. Doom was just chilling and no one took notice. Unless, of course, you use some type of universal multiverse collision to bring the Fantastic Four and Dr. Doom into the MCU continuity, and then everyone's like, who's this Doctor Doom guy? And he just rapidly amasses like his wealth and power and everything, or it gets sucked into the MCU and it's like a new thing. I don't know. It, it, it's very complicated, of course. That's why I'm not the head of this. I think I could help, though. Um, anyone at Marvel or Disney's listening, give me a job. Like I'm sure I could brainstorm a bunch of things that would, that would help this... Uh, this problem. But with Dr. Doom, it's very a delicate situation for sure because he's such a great character and such a beloved character and he, they've already messed him up multiple times. It's a sensitive topic. So it could be Doom and the Fantastic Four. Obviously, that would take a lot of setting up in order to have Doom reach that level. And if you're going to introduce him into the Fantastic Four, he has to win. Uh, he can't just be... He has to continue continuously defeat the Fantastic Four and amass power and wealth in order to be that God-level, Thanos-level threat to the MCU where the Fantastic Four are forced to team up with everyone else to stop Doctor Doom. It's the only way that happens because if they just like put him in a movie and then they defeat him, then that's the end of Doctor Doom and they kind of butchered it. Galactus is obviously... Another choice, um, personally, 
in my mind, I think those are really the only two logical choices that this could go. And if, again, Feige said the future is going to reveal itself in the next few months, if that future is Secret Wars, I think that would that story arc and that like giant clash is something that could easily rival Infinity War and Endgame. Easily. But it's going to take a shit ton of setup. Like a long, long time, a lot of movies, and a lot of new characters. Because right now your roster is kind of dwindling. You don't have Black Panther anymore. Uh, Black Widow, Captain America, Iron Man, all gone. Thor, I think it feels like it's hanging on by a thread. But again, he's not someone who's going to lead this MCU into its next phase. Blade was announced with Mahershala Ali. Don't know when that's coming. We have another Ant-Man the Wasp, but, you know, it's Ant-Man. Doctor Strange is kind of taking a bit of a step forward. Uh, we still have Shang-Chi, who for some reason did not appear at all in Doctor Strange, even though at the end of Shang-Chi, he went to the Sanctum Sanctorum with Wong, um, or Kamertage with Wong. Didn't see him at all, so no idea what he's up to or what his future is. The Eternals got, most of them got whisked away, or all of them actually got whisked away by the uh, Celestials. We don't know what the Celestials are doing. They said they'll come back when Earth is finally judged. Harry Styles is in the MCU as Thanos' brother. What's up with him? Uh, the Guardians are having the uh, Guardians Volume 3. I don't know what that's going to be about. We'll see what they're doing in the Thor movie. Uh, what else? Spider-Man. No one knows who Peter Parker is anymore, so Spider-Man's kind of getting a fresh start. His solo movies have been great, so I'm kind of just chilling with that. Obviously, now uh, he's still going to be a part of the Avengers. He's still going to be partnering with all of those guys because those memories are still there. They just don't remember. It's like a big giant blur. Like when they try to remember who is under the mask, it's just like, why can't I remember? Why can't I remember? Oh, well, who cares? Right? They still know who Spider-Man is, though. Um, so Spider-Man, I have a lot of faith in. Everyone else, I just don't really know what's going on. And that leads us back to, like, where is the direct the sense of direction? You know? Because um, you're either going to... Right now, it feels like because there's not any real sense of direction, it's going to feel either rushed or the the next level threat that's going to appear is going to be very long now something to take with this though Thanos like all of that he appeared in post credit scenes and stuff like that a few times here and there and they were really building up to him and his power and the infinity stones and the infinity gauntlet and all that kind of stuff but he didn't truly appear until the end of phase three right infinity war and endgame capped phase three and that was it so, assuming the same thing happens here, Phase 4 is like this weird intermediate phase, and maybe Phase 5, they just start kicking out all these movies that really, really help push things along, and then at the end of Phase 6, uh, we get our Thanos level, we cap it off with that Thanos level threat again. Truthfully, I have no idea how long these are going to go on for, like these Marvel movies and, and all of this, but as long as they keep making hundreds and hundreds of millions sometimes billions of dollars at the box office, they'll keep going forever. Um, but basically, what I'm saying is, patience is needed, 
but there's also cause for concern in terms of the sense of direction this is going. And I don't think Thor is going to answer any of those questions. Uh, I think patience is what's needed here. Uh, Like Feige said, in the coming months, we should have an answer. I don't know what that means, though. Because in the coming months, two months, six months, ten months, like how, how many months? Because right now, all we have slated is Thor. I mean, I'm not even bothering to watch Miss Marvel right now. Uh, that silly show, I Am Groot, comes out in August. Uh, She-Hulk, they gave a ridiculous name. She-Hulk, attorney at law. Why did you have to add like a gag name onto the end of it? Just make it She-Hulk. We know who she is. Um, and she looks horrible. I mean, the trailer to that was horrifying because the CGI looked just so, so, so bad. That's coming out in August. Um, and then we don't get another main movie until no- in November, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Don't know what that's going to be like. That's a huge question mark because Chadwick Boseman obviously isn't in it. The Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special on Disney Plus late 2022. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, February 2023. Uh, Guardians 3, May 2023. The Marvels, 2023, July 2023. And then Echo comes out in 2023, that's another thing, um, the X-Men 97 show, I'm not even counting that, Secret Invasions, out, not dated, Agatha, House of Dark Harkness, undated, uh, Armor Wars, undated, Ironheart, undated, uh, Spider-Man, Freshman Year, that's an animated series, but it is canon, undated, uh, Marvel Zombies, undated, like, a lot of these shows just not, Loki Season 2, undated, a lot of these shows just have no release date, And a lot of them are shows. Like, we don't have that many main movies. 2023 is more movies, I think, now than we had in uh, in 2022. Because there is going to be the Marvels, which is the Captain Marvel uh, sequel. Guardians 3 is going to be really good. But that's, you know, another one. Not sure what that's going to be. Ant-Man, The Wasp, Quantumania. So you have four movies in the span of six months, seven months. Who knows how important those will be? Like, who knows where that's going to take us? It's just concerning. That's all. I think I've uh, about expanded my thoughts long enough in terms of Obi-Wan and the MCU and all that. Um, a much longer episode than usual. Obviously, there's a purpose for that. Like I said, next two weeks, I'll be on hiatus and we'll be back July 13th, that Wednesday, new episode, uh, Thor Love and Thunder review coming then. We'll probably have a little something else uh, as well tacked onto that episode. But I appreciate you all for listening. As always, uh, means a lot. And I hope you don't miss me too much on this two-week break. But... Enjoy your two weeks without me. Enjoy uh, the 4th of July weekend and be safe. Have fun. Go to the beach. I will talk to you all on July 13th. See you then.